I'd like to begin by asking three questions. First of all, how many of you have ever rented a movie from Blockbuster? How many ever rented a movie from Blockbuster? Absolutely. It was a big deal for us as kids to go down to the Blockbuster store, but before Blockbuster, there were a couple mom-pa uh, shops there in St. Albans. It was a big deal. We'd load up into the car. Everybody got to pick their favorite DVD. You wade through thousands of DVDs just to get the right one, and then you go home and you're, excuse me, it was actually a VCR, uh, not even a DVD. You go put it in the VCR, watch it, and then you take it back two or three days later to avoid penalties. We loved renting movies. But Blockbuster wasn't prepared for the Netflix era, for the Redbox era. And so eventually, in 2010, Blockbuster filed for bankruptcy, and really essentially, Blockbuster is no more. We could say they didn't adjust to meet the needs of real-life people. The second question I want to ask is about Kodak. How many of you ever owned a Kodak camera? Okay, or a Kodak film. I'm sure a lot of us did. We had the little disposable Kodak cameras. Kodak used to be the thing. They were the leader in cameras. They were the leader in film. Um, if Kodak dug their heels in when the digital era began because they said you're always going to need film. We'll never get to the quality in digital that we have in real life film. Well, of course, now I believe they regret for digging their heels in. Uh, the brand was eventually sold, and you'll see it pop up from time to time. Uh, but Kodak failed to adjust to meet the needs of real-life people. One last question. How many owned a BlackBerry? How many of you owned a BlackBerry? This doesn't seem like that long ago, right? This was just 10 years ago. BlackBerry was the thing. I can remember conversations over coffee when iPhones came out and discussing whether or not the iPhone would take the market or if the BlackBerry would take the market. After all, if you had a BlackBerry, you could get your email much quicker. It was much smoother. iPhones will never work, people said. Well, of course, BlackBerry didn't adjust to meet the market, and not only can your iPhone do email well now, but it can do a thousand other things. And so the people at BlackBerry, while well-intentioned and eventually put their energy into other things, failed to meet the needs of real-life people as the market changed. Here at Bible Center Church, we're very aware uh, that our message never changes. It never does, and by God's grace, it never will. But we're also aware that every year, 7,000 churches in the United States close their doors. 7,000 churches for a host of different reasons. But many times it's because they're no longer reaching out to their city, no longer effectively winning people to Jesus and seeing them become part of the church. We do not want to be BlackBerry. We do not want to be Kodak. We definitely don't want to be Blockbuster. So how do we avoid this? How can we accomplish our mission in such a way that our children and our grandchildren will still be here, Lord willing, winning people to Jesus and seeing them become disciples for him? This morning, I plan to answer that question. We're going to start with the why. And we're going to do a quick review of the what, and then we're going to spend the majority of our time on the how. We're going to drill down into the details. How do we accomplish our mission? 
If you want to go ahead and turn to Acts 2, in a moment we'll read in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 41. But before we, t- before we read and before we turn, we're going to knock off two of these points in your outline. The first question in your outline asks, why does Bible Center Church exist? Why does Bible Center Church exist? And the answer is obvious. We exist to glorify God. We exist for the glory, for the honor, for the majesty of God himself. From time to time, somebody will ask, does the church exist for the saved or the unsaved? And I always answer that question the same. First of all, the church exists for God. And once we realize the church is for his glory and not our glory, then those other balancing things can fall into place. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 21, the Apostle Paul writes, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I will seldom over the years ask you to go back and listen to a previous sermon, but if you weren't here two weeks ago, let me invite you to go back and listen to the message from Ephesians chapter 3. It was all about the glory of God, and I was trying to explain what we mean as a church when we say we want to honor and glorify Him. The word glory in the scriptures has this idea of making something that seems far seem near or something that is unknowable seem knowable. Something that is far, make it seem near, or something that seems unknowable, help it be knowable. A great illustration of that is the eclipse tomorrow. People are all jazzed up about the eclipse. How many of you have your glasses? You got your glasses ready. I went running with one of my good friends yesterday, and he was telling me about the time that he watched another eclipse, partial eclipse, with his welding helmet. That's a great idea. If you don't have glasses, certainly you've got a welding helmet, and you can make it happen tomorrow. I really don't know what the big deal is, though. The sun's going to disappear for about two minutes. The sun disappears for nine hours every night, and nobody cares. But nevertheless, it's tomorrow, I think somewhere around 2.30 is where we're going to see the 90% or so eclipse. Well, well, if you can't watch it live, you can also watch it uh, later. It'll be recorded through filtered telescopes and filtered cameras. And we're going to be able to see something that is far away through telescope seem near. Or something that seems mysterious and unknowable, a telescope is going to help it seem knowable. And that's what we want to do here in Charleston. We want people in Charleston to know a God by the way we live our lives. Are they going to know that God exists because we're perfect? Not on your life. But as they see us repent and show each other grace and walk in grace and try to align ourselves around God's word, they'll say there must be something different about those people. Something's happening in that church. So it's all about the glory of God. Last week we answered the what. What has God called us to do? And of course the summary of that is to produce more maturing followers of Jesus. The church is called to make disciples. That's why we're here. It's not just to be busy. It's not just to uh, put ourselves on the map in a city. But God has called us to produce followers 
of Jesus. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Last Sunday, we tried to flesh it out. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? If you didn't get a chance to catch last Sunday, you might want to do that as well. But this morning, we're going to look at the how. At some point, we've looked at the why. We've flown at 30,000 feet. We've come down a bit last week, and we looked at the what. And this morning, we have to ask the question, how can we do this as a church? When the rubber meets the road, how do we accomplish this every day. And Acts chapter 2 answers the question for us. Let me invite you to stand with me as we read God's word. Acts chapter 2 and verse 41 begins to describe the how. Acts 2:41. So those who received his word were baptized And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The book of Acts is a book of patterns. At this particular time, when Dr. Luke wrote the book, there were numerous works that described heroic events. Uh, there, was, there were books on the Athenians, books on Roman soldiers, common and not so common heroes of the day. So when Dr. Luke wrote, he was writing in a genre of literature, again, that was very popular, and he was saying that the hero of the church is Jesus Christ. The title of the book of Acts is really traditional. We call it Acts of the Apostles, but you've probably heard that it would be better titled the Acts of Jesus Christ or the Acts of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. He was describing the heroic work as the church was taking off and how Jesus had established the church and continued to bless it. And in Acts chapter 2, the verses that we just read, he really describes the how. And he lists about nine or ten ways, actions, that the church can participate in making disciples. And so if we, if we wanted to go through every one of these verbs or every one of these actions, we could do that and it'd be about nine or ten different things like praying and caring and giving. We're going to talk about those things. But we like to summarize them here at Bible Center Church in a format that's easy to remember. And so you'll see around town or you'll see around our church three different words that I'm going to give today. The first one is worship. 
How do we create maturing followers of Jesus? By creating space where God's family can worship. Notice with me verse 46. Verse 46 says, Day by day they attended the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. We see two different spaces where the early church met. The first place was the temple. Why did they meet in the temple? If they were Christian and not Jewish, why didn't they meet in the temple? Well, it's easy for us to ask that question since we're 2,000 years after Jesus. But we understand that Jesus marked the end of one era and the beginning of another. He marked the end of what we call the Old Covenant or the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. People who were followers of God, all that they knew was the temple. Before that, it was the tabernacle. All they knew was the Mosaic law. And so now at this point in history, everything shifts from old to new, from, from temple to church. And so initially, the, perhaps the only building big enough or the only place that was familiar for worship was the place they had gone all their lives. And that was the temple of God. Picture them, if you will, as they skip over the temple sacrifices. They're wondering and asking, should we participate still in the sacrifices since Jesus already was our sacrifice? And there's whole books in the New Testament written to answer that question. No, you don't have to participate. But still they gathered in the temple to worship God until other church meeting places were established. Why did they meet together? What was the big deal about all of them? There's thousands of them coming followers of Jesus. What's the big deal about meeting together? Well, the scriptures tell us that something supernatural happens when the church meets together. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24 and 25 says, Let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Something supernatural happens when the church meets together. And he tells us what they did when they met together. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Teaching was huge in the early church. 25% of the entire book of Acts is a record of sermons and lectures. 25% of the entire book. Teaching was very important, but it wasn't just any teaching. It was the apostles' teaching, the apostles' doctrine. Who were the apostles? These were the people who had walked with Jesus. These were the people who had eaten with Jesus. These are the people that had sat at Jesus' feet. He was their rabbi. They learned everything they could learn from Jesus. Were they perfect? No. But eventually those men wrote down what Jesus told them, and that became our New Testament. There's a few of them that actually didn't walk directly with Jesus, but they followed somebody else who did. Like again, Luke. Luke never traveled with Jesus, but Luke traveled with the Apostle Paul, who was trained by Jesus in some way we don't fully understand for about three years in the desert before he launched his ministry. Mark, ne Mark never traveled with Jesus, but he did travel with Peter, who traveled with Jesus. 
And so as these men saw and heard and learned from Jesus, they taught us what we need to know. The apostles' teaching and then fellowship. The word fellowship means common life, to share a common life. We like to say it this way, to do life together. Now, there are times when it's impossible for us to gather. You know, when I go on vacation, I'm not here a few times a year. When you go on vacation, you're not here. There are times where some of you are able to tune in via video and enjoy, and we have many uh, tuning in today, no doubt, around the country. But there are times when, when God invites us, when it's possible, when we're able to gather together physically because something happens when we do life together. I like Facebook. I like Instagram. I like Twitter as much as the next guy I'm trying to learn. I'm told I need to get Snapchat. I asked a kid the other day, hey, uh, one of our students, hey, are you on Facebook? And they're like, no, we don't do Facebook. That's for the old people. <laughs> so however you do life electronically, there's a place for that. I love it. But let's also remember that God invites us to be together physically. There's just something about having you here. Things aren't the same when you're gone. Fellowship, breaking of bread. There's some who believe that's a reference to communion. Uh, the scholars are split on that. It's definitely not referring to communion in verse 46, but it could be referring to communion. We see baptism up in verse 41. These are all things that we do in our worship services. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Pastor Richard, can you imagine at the outdoor baptism next month, 3,000 souls? You're a tough guy, man. You're strong, but we'd have to call in backup for you and me for sure. We see other things here in verse 45. There's this aspect of giving, which we do many times in our worship services. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the needs to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, and it continues. Were they selling their homes? It doesn't seem like they were selling their homes because they were still meeting in their homes, but evidently they had property, ancestral property perhaps. They were, they were providing for each other, and they were providing for the mission, which is something we do as a church when we gather on Sundays. Some of us give online. Some of you prefer to drop the check or the cash in the offering plate. Some of you give by direct deposit. There's a lot of different ways. Pastor Lee is probably thinking of, of 30 other ways uh, that we can make this happen, and we'd be happy to help you. But giving however we do it is an act of worship to the Lord. This morning when I got on my app and I gave, I, I didn't give it an offering plate, but I gave to the mission of the Lord. And when you gave, you gave to the work of the Lord. It's part of gathering together. Notice verse 47. Verse 47 says, Praising God and having favor with all the people. Praising God and having favor. We praise the Lord together through song, just like the church has done for hundreds and God's people has done, have done for thousands of years. 
Psalm 150, if you're taking notes, you want to write down Psalm 150 and also Psalm 33. Both of those psalms describe the different elements of uh, Jewish worship service. Interestingly, the instruments that are used and the excitement that is used, these people would have gone into the tabernacle, eventually to the temple, and they would have used all these instruments, different types of, and they would have praised the Lord But you can imagine as they had to begin to write new hymns. From the very beginning of the church, there was always new hymns and new songs being written. I'm sure there was resistance to change about the new songs or the new hymns. You see, never before had they written hymns to Jesus. And now instead of just worshiping Yahweh, they recognize Jesus as Yahweh come in person. When do we do these things as a church? Well, certainly we can worship the Lord seven days a week, but we worship Him together on Sunday mornings. There is something beautiful about the gathered church when you sing and you shake hands and you hug and you pray. It's a beautiful thing. And I've described it on your outline much like a family reunion. What is the the worship, the gathered church? Well, it's a lot like a family reunion. You know, they say family reunions are a lot like chocolate fudge. Sometimes they're sweet, but they're full of nuts. <laughs> family reunions. This week I asked many of you online, tell me what you like about family reunions. This is what you said. Good food, especially comfort food. Lots of fried chicken and baked beans. Great home cooking and big plates, lots of iced tea, old pictures, water guns, horseshoes, cornhole, sharing family tree information, talking with the older generation, the older generation teaching the younger generation, a cruise, someone wrote, no one has to cook on a reunion cruise or clean or worry that something will be forgotten. Whoever you are, please adopt me. We did like St. Albans City Park. Uh, this, is, this is awesome. Uh, my cousin, actually, I think he's in the crowd this morning. When I asked about what makes a great family reunion, he said, when everybody shows up, it's because I didn't show up to my family reunion last month. Uh, remembering stories that everybody wants to forget. Playing wiffle ball, making homemade ice cream, lots of bug spray, lots of casseroles. Playing in the creek, swimming, hiking. Somebody wrote, my crazy Aunt Cherie, whoever that is, my crazy Aunt. Reunions, while they're not always pleasant, the model is that we gather together with people we haven't seen in a while, and our common cause is family. When we gather on Sunday mornings with people that we haven't seen all week, our common cause is the family of the gospel, We come, we meet, we swap stories. There's a level of beauty in that. And so at Bible Center, we want our worship services to lean to the next generation for sure, but be a place where grandchildren love worshiping with their grandparents for decades and decades to come. We create spaces for worship. We also create spaces for belonging. Number two, How do we accomplish our mission? We create space where people can belong. 
you look back with me in verse 46, he gives the second aspect of meeting together. And day by day, attending the temple together, and then there's an and. And breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. There were so many of them coming to Jesus, 3,000 in this instance, 5,000 in another instance. There's no way that every time they met together that they all could meet in one place. Now, the temple was huge, certainly, but we see them intentionally going into each other's homes, intentionally breaking bread with one another in smaller groups. And so while Acts chapter 2 never tells the church, thou shalt break your church into small groups, it's obviously inferred. You know, as our church grows large, it must also grow small, for there's no way in a group like this that we're going to be able to meet everybody's needs. It's impossible. That's why in Acts chapter 20 and verse 20, the apostle Paul gave his model for ministry. He says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. At Bible Center, we have a number of different kinds of groups. We have adult Bible fellowships that meet here on Sunday. They're on the front of your bulletin. We have community groups that launch, I believe, September 17th. Uh, coming up here in just a few weeks, we'll roll all that information out to you. But in our groups, there's are places of teaching. There in verse 42. There are also places of fellowship where there's life lived together. That's one of the things I like about verse 46. He, he gives this, this heavy Greek word, koinonia, fellowship. You say, what does that mean? Well, verse 46, he says it means eating together. It's just a picture of doing life together. In Louisville, our first community group was with Lee Walker's, Lee and Marty's uh, daughter, uh, John's sister, Stephanie, and her husband, Matt. And we started our community group together and we were going to go for two hours, man. We we're going to go two hours of heavy Bible teaching and prayer, right? Because when you have a pastor in your community group, you're just like ready to get after it. And shortly after our community group started, we noticed that, you know, when people come together with the hurts and the cares and the burdens of this world, sometimes it's nice just to share a meal together. So we started doing that. Instead of going for two hours of Bible study, we, we did, I think Mike actually helped us with this, we did an hour of meal, and then we would do an hour of Bible study and kind of life-on-life -life discussion. It was beautiful. And something about sitting down with somebody. In, in the Old Testament, really in the history of the world, it's an ancient, ancient tradition. If you want to make peace with another person, share a meal with them. That's why in Psalm 23, David writes, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Because it was symbolic. If there was a peace treaty, they would put a table and they would put food and the enemies would come together. And when you eat with somebody, instantly your hearts begin to mesh. And so in our community groups, even in our adult Bible fellowships, we're noticing more and more of them using the space out here once a month for picnics or every so often going to somebody's house and share. This is a beautiful picture of life on life. There's praying that takes place in our groups. Verse 42, breaking of bread and prayers. Then there's care that's taking place in the groups. Verse 44, and all who believed were together 
and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any have need. I like to describe our groups at Bible Center like a family dinner. It's different than a family reunion. But in your outline there, it's like more like a family dinner. Reunion is a place where you find out that Uncle Bob got a new job. Susie's expecting her 10th child. You know, that, that's what happens at family reunions. But family dinners are more intimate. Family dinners are where you find out how much homework your daughter has. Family dinners are find out, you know, what boys I need to keep my eyes on as a father. Family dinners are time when Sarah's able to share the burdens of her day. Family dinners are time when you come together. And it's not always perfect. You know, this week I threw up on Facebook a picture of a family dinner and everybody looked perfect and happy and makeup was done and everybody's smiling. You know, our family dinners, we, Sarah and I met yesterday for breakfast when we just sat down and planned out our week and we're like, well, we can't meet for dinner that night because this one's going this way and can't meet for dinner that night because we've got this going on. So we tried to carve out two or three nights this week where we could just sit down and make everybody, she could make me put my cell phone away and we could just sit and enjoy some time together. I ask you what you like about family dinners. This is what you said. Good conversation. Everybody just being together. People laughing together. Food is the best. I'm certainly a man wrote that. We can tell the same stories over and over, you wrote. Encouragement. No phones or electronics. One of you said it gives us time to relax and catch up and prepare for the next day. One mom wrote, being a mom to six, I love the chaos. My oldest is a senior, and I listen to them all talking over each other and realize how short this season in life really is. Unconditional acceptance, just being together, belonging. Hear the words you're using. Uh, one, one person wrote, we used to have Sunday afternoon lunch at my mom and dad's. All the immediate family members who could be there. There was such a sense of belonging in those years. I miss it so much. This one moved me. One lady wrote, My daddy was always prepared to share all sorts of trivia about all kinds of subjects. He was quite a jokester at the dinner table. Our parents always tried to instill in us to be, to learn, to do, to see, to enjoy, and to love and appreciate our many blessings. We found that our best years were the leanest years simply because we were together. That's the heart behind what we want to create in all of our groups. This fall where everybody at Bible Center has a place that you call home. Yes, I love having you in our worship services, but we want you to have another place, kind of like Cheers, where everybody knows your name, and they know when you're not here, and they know when you're down, you see, that's a whole other level of prayer and care. Think about it. I, I'm so thankful. We, we do the shake hands time in our services, and, and John has reminded me, and if you don't want to shake hands, you can fist bump or just wave. But it's a beautiful picture. But we also recognize that in that 30 seconds, that's not enough. We want you to be cared for because we love you, and God wants you to grow in a place of belonging. The third and final environment where we grow, we want to create space for people to serve. Worship, belong, and serve. Verse 43, 
It says, an awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. In verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. Some of these signs and wonders, no doubt, were for the establishment of the church. God did amazing things. Whenever somebody tells me, well, everything that Jesus did on earth, if you are really filled with the Spirit, you should be able to do as a New Testament Christian, my response is always the same. Do you expect me to walk on water? Because it ain't going to happen. There were some things that Jesus did simply to affirm his authority. There were things that the early church did to confirm their authority. But the principle is still the same. Jesus knowing that in our era, he looks ahead in Matthew 5 and he just says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. In verse 47, this city in which these New Testament Christians lived somehow, some way, favored the early church. They liked the early church in some way because they knew that God was among them. As you read the book of Acts, it's a mixed narrative. There's the narrative of persecution where they hated their gospel. They hated their message. But there was something about their goodness that they could never refute. And God invites us to be a church that's all about serving and finding a place to do that. This week I heard a story from one of our members. She's on a board of one of our nonprofits here in town. And evidently the chairman of the board had asked her when Bible Center was going to cut them a check. When is Bible Center going to, when is the rich church up on the hill going to cut us a check for our nonprofit? And she'd mentioned how we want to be a church Charleston can't live without. And she said, well, if we want to be a church Charleston can't live without, you need to write us a check. And there are times when we do that. We write a lot of those checks for mission. But I loved her response. She prayed and asked God to give her wisdom in that board meeting. And then she responded with this. She said, Miss Madam Chairman, Madam Chairperson, about half of the people on your board in the last few years have been Bible Center members. Bible Center loves the city. And whether the check comes with our name on it or it comes through people in our congregation who love the city. It's all because we believe as a church, we want to be a church Charleston can't live without. I thought that was a great answer. And so when we think about serving our city, how do we do that? Well, we had family reunion and family dinner. This picture is more like a family project, more like a family project, something you do together as a family. This week, you mentioned how you love shoveling snow with your family growing up or doing homework, which is becoming a family project, cutting firewood, stringing beans, painting picket fences. One man wrote, Christmas lights at my grandparents. Once the turkey was devoured at Thanksgiving, we would climb on the roof and tie the big five-foot plastic Santa to the chimney. Then the Clark Griswold moment at the night was to watch it all light up. Mowing grass, science fair projects, which if you're a teacher here, may God help me not to be bitter towards you for science fair projects. (laughs) Roofing my grandma's house, working jigsaw puzzles. My grandfather was a carpenter, one man said, and we would build small things like birdhouses together or build decks, making Christmas cookies, hiking, and just having snack time in the woods. This is my favorite 
I don't know who this was. I need to go back and look. My dad raised pigs. We were never allowed to name them because he didn't want us getting attached. If you know what I mean. <laughs> Slaughtering them was family bonding time. We don't want to slaughter any pigs. But we do have a lot of work to do. And out in the gathering space after the service, it's filled with opportunities. These are family projects. There's a lot of outreach we want to do, but this fall, we've taken a step back and realized that until we uh, make sure that all of our bases are covered here, until we have shuttle bus drivers and enough people to do coffee and enough people to serve Awana and enough people to serve in students and enough people in the card care team and enough people in the funeral meal team, got to just take a step back and cover our bases. Would you consider helping us cover those bases this fall? That all the information is in your bulletin. You can stop by without any pressure to the volunteer ministry fair. But also there's a web, an email address, volunteer at biblecenterchurch.com. We've designated one entire staff member to help you find a place to serve. Christy Corbin is doing a killer job. She'd love to help you and let us know how we can get you plugged in. What's the main encouragement this morning? It's simply this. Find your fit in the Bible Center family so more people can find theirs. Find your fit in the Bible Center family so more people can find theirs. At the end of this passage, in verse 47, Luke writes that after all these things had taken place, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Because the church was the church in their city, people came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Around, you're going to see more and more of these three circles of worship, belong, and serve. Why are we here? For the glory of God. What has God called us to do to make disciples? How do we do it? This is how we do it. If you've not yet found a place of belonging, maybe your next step is this fall, jump in Adult Bible Fellowship or jump in a group. More to come on that. Maybe your next step is to jump in a place of service. Don't feel like you know too many people yet. You jump in on one of our volunteer teams, you'll know people very, very fast. And it is a blast. I plan to be here on Wednesday nights serving in Awana with you, Sunday nights serving in student ministry. Those are two great places, but there's multiple opportunities out in the gathering space. To be a church Charleston can't live without requires us to find our fit. May God help you find your fit so other people can find theirs. Let's pray that it's so. Father, thank you so much for this church family. Thank you for what you're doing in hearts. I pray that you would help us truly to be a church Charleston can't live without by doing all the things you've called us to do and by doing them well. I pray for those in our service that don't yet know Christ, aren't yet believers, that you would help them this week to seek us out through conversation they would become a follower of Christ that they would call on the name of the Lord to be saved but God I pray for our church that you would make us cutting edge with gospel authority 
because we worship well. We belong well. And we serve well. This is your church, not mine. And I pray its greatest days would be in the future as you build it. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.